Welcome to Open Matters, an interview series designed to explore the intersection of open source and open standards with folks in our industry. I'm your host, Guy Martin, the Executive Director of Oasis Open. In today's discussion, we're going to revisit a previous topic from our show, cybersecurity. Given recent attacks like those on Colonial Pipeline, as well as solar winds and other intrusions on critical infrastructure, plus the government interest in the form of presidential executive orders in the U.S. and other legislation worldwide, we thought it was important to dive into some of the work going on here at Oasis that can help in this fight. Joining me today are two guests who are positioned at the nexus of this fight to defend against these kind of cybersecurity breaches. Rich Struess is director of the Center for Threat-Informed Defense within MITRE and also serves on our board here at Oasis Open. Rich, always good to chat with you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. You bet. Trey Darley is a systems and security architect at CERT.be in Belgium. Trey, it's a pleasure to meet you finally after seeing the results of all of your work on the CTI Technical Committee. Appreciate you joining us today as well. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate you having me. Great. So together, Rich and Trey are co-chairs for the Oasis Open Cyber Threat Intelligence Technical Committee, which is the group responsible for the STICS and TAXI standards work. The Structured Information Threat Expression Standard, or STICS, defines a language for sharing structured threat intelligence in a consistent machine-readable manner, which allows companies to anticipate and respond to attacks faster and more effectively. The companion standard that goes along with this is called the Trusted Automated Exchange of Intelligence Information, also known as TAXI, and that is the transportation protocol specifically designed to support the exchange of STICS data over hypertext transfer protocol secure. So with all of those definitions out of the way, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, Rich and Trey, can you give us a little history on the origins of Sticks and Taxi? What led to the creations of these standards and who are your major stakeholders? Yeah, well, it's always, it's always good to start with an origin story and you know, we won't have any X-Men or uh, mutants, but you know, it, the, the origin of Sticks and Taxi actually goes all the way back to 2011. I had, I had spent most of my life uh, as a technology entrepreneur writing systems in, uh, in, in communications. And I found myself now at the Department of Homeland Security, um, and just in a, in a sort of a new chapter of my life in, in the cybersecurity division. And uh, I was given a call one day by a colleague uh, who actually turns out works MITRE, uh, Rob Simmons, who um, said, hey, Rich, are you going to such and such meeting uh, tomorrow? And I said, no, I have no clue. And didn't hear anything about it. He said, well, given what I know about you, because we had worked together earlier in that year, he said, I think you should go. Well, fast forward to the next day, I go to this meeting and there are a bunch of cybersecurity executives and government people all talking about the problem that people can't share actionable cyber threat intelligence in anything close to near real time. And I had been in this space coming from it from the software assurance perspective. So sort of cyber operations was new to me. And I, I left that meeting saying, what do you mean there's no, there's no way to like get information about uh, you know, indicators of compromise from point A to point B uh, without humans being involved emailing PDFs? And that set in, 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 uh, in progress some, some, uh, some events. I went to my leadership at that time, very enlightened leadership, Carlos Kizzi and, and Jenny Mena ultimately, and said, 
I have an idea for a problem I want to tackle. And they said, go for it. And in uh, January of 2012, um, I said, you know what, we're going to solve this problem because they're not adequate international standards in the space. We're going to create a new standard to, cre to really solve this problem, to create a rich exchange um, of actionable cyber threat intelligence. We're going to handle both the data representation and the transfer mechanism. Uh, the a little fun fact, there was originally only something called taxi. Um, and that was both the representation and the transport. And it was actually Sean Barnum from MITRE who came up with the name Styx sometime later in, uh, in 2012. But ultimately, it was an operational need that was being felt not just by uh, government, but by the private sector. And not just the private sector here, or government here, but around the world. And we set out to address that operational need. Trade, uh, you probably have something to add there as the co-chair. Well, I think I got dragged into this um, venture somewhere in 2013. Uh, when did the first version of Sticks get published? Just remind me. Um, there was a, a less than 1.0 version that was published in 2012. I think 0 0.7 maybe or 0. So it was it was either 2012 or 2013, and it was sort of like right around the DEF CON uh, black hat, you know, sort of hype machine. And at that time I was working with Splunk as a uh, security strategist, something or other, um, helping to uh, do sort of proof concept implementations for new features that, that they can add to their uh, security products. And uh, my team lead at that time sort of just handed things out to people and he gave me this thing, you know, cyber threat intelligence. And uh, I remember seeing sysadmins when I was knee high to a fleet, taking a CSV file on an old Unix system, like putting that stuff in their packet filters. And when I come back to this problem space as, a, as an adult, so people are still shipping CSVs around. Anyway, I, I really connected with the work. Like there were, it was obviously a great opportunity to uh, automate a lot of manual practices uh, through a standard like Sticks and Taxi. And uh, I guess I, I, I came along complaining as somebody <laughs> trying to implement pulling my hair out. And uh, at some point, you know, I, I think there were a number of early decisions that, you know, I'm sure, Rich, if you had a time machine, you'd go back and do some things differently from the beginning. But there were some pretty key success factors. And one of them was like sort of DHS coming out with these XML-based standards. And I'm talking about 6.1. Uh, but, you know, they could have just said like, here it is. And if you want to do business, you know, if you want to have a government contract, you need to implement these. But very early on, there was, you know, there were mailing lists and then there were these sort of monthly community calls that got to be quite lively. And, and then like for Rich and I know you were supported by senior management. I don't wanna name names because I'll probably name some of the wrong names, but you know, to have this then be let go 
and, and, and given over to Oasis and to the care of basically that same community, you know, just moved over from joining uh, phone calls, run out of DHS minor to, to Oasis. Awesome. So, I mean, that kind of gives us a little bit of the history of the origin um, and, and what we're, what this was all about. So as you put this, put this together, um, you know, who kind of were the, the major stakeholders that, that ended up uh, being the people, obviously you had a target audience for, for this, but you know, it was, it was it SysAds? Was it, you know, was it, was, was it ISVs? Was it, who, who were the kind of the major Zizax, stakeholders? Really? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, so, so, you know, one of the first things I learned in being in any of the government was a new and strange thing for me. Um, and, and one of the things that I had an instinct early on though was if, if I pursued the, this quest to try to solve this problem, you know, through the lens just of government, you know, government played a key role, DHS, you know, obviously invested significant resources and continues to invest significant resources uh, to this day uh, in, in support of these uh, standards and, and they deserve, uh, you know, the community's thanks. Um, but I, but I, I had an intuition that if we just frame this as this is, you know, come help us try to solve DHS's problem or the US government's problem or government's problem, that wasn't gonna get much traction because the reality is even though governments spend a lot of money compared to what the private sector spends, you know, it's, it's usually not considered you know, worthwhile for people to create whole bespoke technology uh, foundations for. So with that intuition, um, I reached out very early on uh, and, and my colleague uh, and dear friend, my colleague at the time and, and dear friend, Tom Millar, uh, who then was at US CERT and, and who is at, at CISA today, uh, who by the way, another fun fact, is the guy who came up with the name Taxi. We were sitting in an office. We had just been, had a, a colleague tell us a truly awful name uh, that they had come up with for the, uh, the uh, standard or for the specification. I wanna be clear, they were just specifications. And Tom looked at me and I looked at Tom and Tom said, trusted, automated exchange. And he went through the TAXII and in, in, in 90 seconds, we had a name. Um, but we started to reach out immediately to private sector organizations. The FSISAC was a great partner. And at the time, you know, Aaron Chernin, who was leading up uh, some of the working groups inside of FSISAC, who was then, he was then at DTCC and went on to, uh, you know, fame at, at Soltra and then at Perch. Uh, but Aaron played a key role as, as really a, a community cheerleader within the financial sector. And uh, you know, once the once the big banks started to care, then that got others to care. Uh, you know, and then we had people from literally around the world uh, interested in this. And one of the phenomena that I noticed relatively early that you know that told me this strategy was working is uh, I would get phone calls from cybersecurity product managers saying, "Rich." My sales team just got back from a visit with a customer and they were asked what our sticks and taxi strategy is and our salespeople didn't know what to say. And, and, and so that, that demand signal 
was really important to sort of make the industry stand up and say, this is something people care about. And, and the, the, you know, while, you know, and Trey, you're right. There are lots of things I would do very differently, but that's one that I would do exactly the same way because, you know, I think when standards are informed by the users of those standards, not just the vendors of products and services that are gonna implement them, but by people who are actually gonna to have to live and use the, live with these things and use them on a daily basis, integrate them into their processes, I think you get a really different perspective. And, and that's something I think that worked really well, both when it was a, a DHS-led initiative and then in, in 2015, when we moved it over to Oasis. Yeah, that sounds like it. I mean, Trey, I presume you're nodding your head, so I presume you, you're agreeing with pretty much everything. That, that, I mean, I, I, I'm remembering said. things from, you know, slightly on the other side, because after Splunk, then I started working for FSI SAC and working with Soltra even before it became a company, when it, before it had a name. Um, and, and being involved with, there was, there was this sort of a churn at that time of a lot of activity around cyber threat intelligence focused on sticks one and sticks two. And, and it was like also at that time, as we had completed the, the, the move, the migration, donation, whatever, of, of the standards from, sorry, specifications from uh, DHS to OASIS and deciding to take this greenfield approach and to say, you know, let's, let's build a minimum viable product. Let's try to follow some different design principles. And uh, Rich, I, I don't want to just ramble on here, but uh, I recall the face-to-face -face in, uh, in Tampa, it was, was it not? In 20, that would have been beginning 2016 or? 2016. Uh, we, we, had a, we had a hearty debate. And we, we, we looked at, you know, at the best of our ability, uh, with, like within the ISACs and whatnot. Um, there were some utilities that got coded up that could be run to analyze the trusted pool of data and just report back anonymized statistics about how SIX was actually being used in these organizations. Um, sort of focusing our our efforts on let's let's make it easier for people to interact with the things that they're using most commonly, and, and then we we got from there to six two, which was that MVP, but there were certain critical pieces that were missing, and uh, we stand at this uh, inflection point today, maybe. Yeah, Which I mean, talk I talk about some of the. Well, yeah, actually, I mean, so, Trey, I think I'm that's a great, the outline. Yeah, no, I know it's fine. So I think that's a great segue because I wanted to talk. I know you, you folks have a, a major release coming up. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard words bandied about like historical or, you know, really, really critical and important release. So uh, what's new in this major release that's coming up and, and why is it so important? So what, you know, the, the historic event is that uh, Sticks 2.1 and Taxi 2.1, uh, the latest versions of the Sticks and Stack Taxi standards were just ratified as full OASIS uh, standards by uh, OASIS membership. And what that 
does is that gives these specifications that have been implemented now by myriad organizations, the imprimatur, not just of, um, yeah, this group of people thinks it's good, but it is now you know, risen to the level through the OASIS process. And now because of OASIS relationship with other international standards bodies, we, we finally arrived at sort of the, you know, the, the varsity team, you know, we, mm. we are there and these standards can now be referenced in government procurement and regulation um, because of the reciprocity agreements between OASIS and, and OASIS and other standards bodies. And this is the culmination of many, many years of work uh, by many people in the TC uh, and they deserve a huge, uh, uh, you know, thank you for all of the countless time and, and energy that they've put into these. But what it means is that, you know, for a long time, it was a running joke about, well, you know, is Sticks 2 going to be ready? Well, it's going to be ready in 2018 or 2019. And uh, we had great intentions, but, you know, and this is a lesson learned. Uh, maybe we can come back and talk about uh, in a bit. Um, it took a long time to get uh, we had 2.0, sticks in taxi 2.0, but then 2.1 took a lot longer than we wanted. Um, but now as a TC, I think, and as a community, we have a really solid foundation for the community to go out, uh, as I said, and, and start to use these. As I said on a TC call last week, the goal uh, is not to publish a standard. The goal is not to write some spec. And you know, uh, the goal is that we promulgate this, in the, this mechanism to achieve interoperability, and then people use that to actually improve their cybersecurity. That's the goal. The other stuff is a means to an end, but the goal is that, you know, whether it's the, the Belgian foreign ministry or, you know, a, a major US bank or a Japanese manufacturer, that they're able to, to the extent they want to, share actionable cyber threat intelligence in near real time with people to help them be more secure. So, so I, I've always emphasized it's now, a, we have to keep our eye on the prize. And so for the TC, while our work is done in the specification for 2.1, um, there, there's still work being done and work that will continue to promote the interoperability of the specs we're going to do. We're going to pick up and, and start again our plug fest series to get different vendors of solutions to be able to ensure that they have interoperability out of the box. So it's a really exciting time. It's a huge achievement that everyone in the CTITC uh, should be very proud of the work they've done. Um, and, and breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> With a sigh of relief. Sigh of relief. Um, yeah. So I mean. Yeah, so, so I mean, Trey, do you have anything to add to that? It's kind of, you know, from just from the implementation standpoint, it sounds like it was a big heavy lift. And I have, I have a follow-up question on that, but but I'd love to hear your thoughts on on just where it's, where it's come from. Uh, uh, I just, the, there are so many people who contributed so much to use, to, to make the 2.1 standards a reality. And I'm not going to try to name names, but as Rich was talking, I, I, I just couldn't help but sort of flash through memories of certain debates. Uh, I think we had so many discussions about release scope that we had meetings about what could be the scope of a meeting about release scope. I mean, <laughs> we got down some rabbit holes. 
And then we got really close to the finish line three or four times. I thought, dang it, like it's in the bag. And then the next thing I know, it'd be 18 months later and I'm scratching my head going like, you know, honestly, yeah. at some points I questioned whether it was worth it. But in the end, uh, we managed to wrap our hands around some of the thorniest issues. Uh, and I think really made the standard. Um, we, we built on the foundation that we had before, but we really future-proofed it in a lot of ways and opened it up to a lot of uh, other use cases. Yeah, Maybe you know, the, the biggest one to me is the extension mechanism that we built in. There driving some things committees are more effective at than others. Um, I do not want a committee to help me bake my daughter's birthday cake. I'll do that better by myself. Um, so it, now in 2.1, there is a standardized mechanism for saying like, you need an object to describe, you know, this aspect of cyber threat intelligence. And it's not within the, the data model. Fine. Or, or you need to add some additional properties uh, to an existing uh, sort of domain object or something like this. Like, fine. There, there's an easy interoperable way that's written in the spec for how you can do that. You can make that available as a contribution uh, on a, a Oasis Open project. You know, if you sign a contributor license agreement uh, or in a variety of other ways, but the idea being like, instead of say, you know, six months from now, the TC says we want to start working on 6.2.2 instead of, okay, now we're going to spend 18 to 36 months like churning through discussions about not just what we're doing, but also what are we in consensus, like the target is that instead with this extension mechanism, folks would just go out there and find a small group and in consensus, develop and evolve a solution to particular problems. And then in some cases, contribute those back to the TC where the TC can just sort of look at what, at a certain point in time, we have a, a tranche of additional capabilities that are vouched for by all these organizations and this seems solid. So we can skip over a whole lot of the banter and just cut a release based on a tranche of vetted capability. So that's something that I'm pretty excited about in 2.1. Cool, cool. Well, I mean, can hearing I, both- I, I, Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Rich. Because, you know, Trey talking about the um, challenges of, the, of working within a, a formal standards body, um, really, you know, it sort of reminded me of a point that I think is really critical. Um, you know, these these specifications took you know started life as D, as DHS initiative, and no matter how many times I told people that you know we were trying to be open and whatever about this and we were going to work globally, at the end of the day everyone said, yeah, but you work for the U.S. government and at the time and you know if you change your mind or whatever, you can just you know there's no stability, there's no there's no guarantee. And, and they were right. I mean, the, those early days was that, that the sticks and taxi until 2015 was a beneficent dictatorship. And I was the beneficent dictator. And I think more often than not, I was pretty beneficent, um, but it became clear that 
uh, we needed to we needed to find a new home for these specifications. And I, and I did want to say that that process, and I had never really heard of Oasis before. We actually went through a whole formal process uh, where we did an internal evaluation of options. And then uh, we actually brought in a, a, an outside group to do an analysis of standards development organization options. And we looked at all the usual suspects. And what was interesting is when we came back, I remember the meeting and the outside consultant and we compared our notes, we had independently both settled on Oasis Open as the venue to contribute, the, for DHS to contribute the initial intellectual property to and for us to charter a TC. Um, and so that, that turned out in retrospect to be a great decision. I, I, I'm very happy with that. However, I would say in, in part because of some of the challenges we had around timing, if we had had Oasis open projects in 2015, that's what I would have done. Because, <laughs> because I think we were, we were a little early, you know, because we had decided, we had learned a lot from Sticks and Taxi 1, 1.x. Uh, you know, we learned a lot of pain points, a lot about complexity, a lot about XML. Um, and what I wish we had had the option to do is to form an Oasis, an Oasis Open project and start iterating as a small community, get something, get that MVP, and then turn it into a formal work product. And I think anyone in the community today who is at that similar point, I just recommend to look at the uh, uh, at Oasis Open Project as a, a mechanism to then achieve their ultimate goal, maybe of creating uh, a formal standard. But we didn't yeah. have that back then, so we had to set up yeah. stuff through. But so, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. But but I but I'd still make the same decision. <laughs> so it's interesting. Apparently, you're reading my mind from from back there on the East Coast because I was going to ask the question of, I'm hearing both of you talk about the challenges that, that of getting everybody on the same page and the challenges of doing these releases and, and you know, 18 to 36 months. And, and you know, you both know, or at least Rich, I know you know that I come from the open source world primarily. I have a little bit of standards experience, but I come primarily from the open source world. And one of the reasons I was hired at Oasis, as you know, being on the board was to try to bring that marriage of kind of the open source and not just open sources in code, but open source methodologies and ways of working together with kind of the traditional standards, you know, very careful, cons you know, conservative, really focused on interoperability. So given that, and given that we've said publicly that our, my goal as executive director is to kind of bring us to this, this good merge and marriage between the two, where we kind of at some point don't have TCs and, and open projects, we just have projects, right? Kind of projects are projects. Given all of that, is, is there something that could have been done? And I am going off script here a little bit, so I apologize. Is there something that could be done in terms of the way that the, we have open projects and, and the, that governance model and the iterative, iterative approach to development of standards that could begin to shorten those timelines from you know, 18 to 36 months down to something that is more akin to what an open source kind of development model looks like? I, I guess I look at open projects and the governance model there um, and I think that really would be a great fit. Again, if, if, I had, if my time machine wasn't in the shop for repairs, I would hop right in it, dial it back to, to late 2014, early 2015, and, and we would set up an open project with some of the key stakeholders who had skin in the game, uh, not just vendors, but the end users, and really 
um, and really sort of uh, take it down to the to the foundation and rebuild it, but within a model that allowed us to be a lot more agile. You know, there's a, mm. you know, the 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 very uh, maybe what's the polite term? The very deliberate pace that uh, <laughs> progress is made in international formal standards development. You know, is a feature and a bug, right? It's, it's a bug when you're trying to get something done and you're all pretty sure you know the right thing to do. And it's a feature because sometimes you're not as sure as you think you are. And so or you want to make sure- It's a feature if you're trying to stop something from being done. Yeah, well, which is a, which is a really interesting point because you know standards, and if anyone is shocked by this, I will, uh, I apologize, but you know, standards bodies are known or have been known in the past to be used as it's they're like a, a battleground for companies who are waging war. You know, my standard versus your standard, and you know, if we do this, that'll help my product. If we do that, that'll help your product. And in one of the interesting observations, and this is why I'm so so focused on the end user perspective, and I carry that forward today. I'm the center I run. We we have both cybersecurity companies but also a lot of end users because they just don't bring some of that agenda to it. Their agenda is getting stuff done, making themselves more secure. Um, and what I notice looking back, you know, as we were thinking about this milestone of full OASIS standard status is uh, that often some of the noisiest people uh, in the end, when we looked at who actually came out with statements of use which is part of the OASIS process where an organization says, we have successfully implemented this specification or this standard. Some of the, some of the, some of the organizations that had had the noisiest representatives had no statements of use. And I'll let you draw your own conclusions, but you know, then there were people who uh, were just always there with their you know, uh, nose to the grindstone, helping us make progress. You know, and they were smaller companies. Uh, you know, our individuals. Individuals, um, and and they and they were the ones with the first statements of use. And so I I think uh, keeping that perspective and being realistic about what people's interests are, and you know, and why people get involved in standards, and therefore what's the right point at which you make something a formal standard and sort of lock in that more deliberate pace is something I, I would encourage people to be mindful of. It, you know, something practical that Oasis could do moving forward, um, I think that would make the, the life of any TC uh, much smoother and make the standards process um, much more efficient would be if if there were some sort of mandatory psychological baseline assessment before an individual were permitted to join a TC. <laughs> and if they pass sort of the driver's license. Because you have to be kind of crazy. And, and actually, that, if I may- <laughs> Just uh, crazy enough, but not too crazy. So speaking about just crazy enough, you know, for, you know, throughout this, you know, I, I've been doing this the longest, nine and a half years, but I've always been doing this work because, you know, it, with the support of my employer, right? Whether it was DHS and then uh, MITRE Corporation. Uh, and that's true for the, I think the vast majority of our TC members 
that, you know, it's part of their job, their employers pay them. Uh, you know, Trey is one of those people who has really is an individual in for many years, um, you know, labored and sacrificed, um, not because his employer was, you know, supporting his time in the TC. Trey was doing that on his own in his copious free time, which he has none of. Uh, and, and I, I really want to, I really want to call Trey out for that because um, there were years and years where Trey was literally funding his participation in this all on his own uh, and was at every call. Uh, and that kind of dedication is, uh, uh, you know, just just noteworthy. And I, I want to thank you, Trey, for that. Um, that's why I'm, you know, I'm. And, and the, one of the best gifts I got out of this TC is my friendship with Trey. Same here. Awesome. But for me, for me, I have to be honest, like uh, it was some great work back in the early days, but one of my strongest motivators, I mean, aside from, I want the world to be a safe place for my daughter and other kids to grow up in. Uh, for, for me to grow up in, for that matter, uh, uh, I, I, th I think about my, my younger self pulling my hair out, trying to implement the earlier version. When I, like, it was a clear problem in front of me. I had a vision for what I was trying to achieve, but I just kept fighting with my tools in the form of some of the aspects of the standard. But through all this, I just, in my mind, I think about like sort of some mid-level software engineer somewhere getting a Jira task from their product manager to go implement this thing. Like, how do I make this as easy as possible for that guy to get it right? And, and, and we've done a pretty good job. Nothing is perfect in six and taxi 2.1. Perfect. They are not, but like the, the lessons that we learned going from one to two and the refinements that we brought in coupled with the emphasis that we've had from early on, on interoperability and having not just like, uh, you know, oh, you say you support this, great, let's, you know, I mean, I think one thing we all three have in common is having been in computing back before uh, robust interoperable TCP IP stack was something that you could <laughs> take for granted, much less even having like cabling that might snap together, uh... you know? So uh, th these things aren't automatic, but, I, I, I'm hopeful that with uh, the work that the interoperability subcommittee is uh, undertaken and carrying forward, that uh, products out there will be carrying a stick preferred taxi preferred logo. That means something. That means that, you know, you as a sysadmin or somebody as a network engineer somewhere or a security engineer doesn't have to spend a bunch of time reverse engineering the APIs and two different products and writing some glue code to make them interoperate. Right. That's right. not the problem that people are there for. Exactly. And you know, hey, Trey, well, you guys are right on it in terms of my segue, do, do my segues for me. So I really appreciate that because that actually gets to another thing I really want to talk about, which is, um, you know, clearly this is important work. We've talked about it, but 
can you have, give us some examples of sort of where this is being used, how it's being used, um, you know, obviously with the, within the context of, you know, if you can't talk about a particular product using it, but just what kinds of products are, are being, uh, are using the standard or implementing this standard, be it a proprietary product, be it open source, how is this sort of being used in a way that gets you to that goal of making this world a safer place for your daughter and for, for you know, for all of us? Yeah, I, I talk a lot about stealth implementations that aren't necessarily, um, you know, well known, but, you know, all of the major cybersecurity companies uh, uh, at this point leverage sticks and taxi to, uh, for the exchange of indicators and things like the Cyber Threat Alliance, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Michael Daniels organization. Uh, they do they do great work and they've built a whole platform based on sticks too. Um, so that's an example of, you know, this is ready for prime time. People are using it. There's, a, there's one of the largest cloud security service providers um, whose entire backend, on, you know, threat intelligence exchange is all based on sticks. Uh, you know, you have, if you look at the statements of use um, that accompany the, uh, the standard uh, that just got uh, released, uh, you'll see major cybersecurity companies. You'll see some smaller cybersecurity companies. Um, so I think you're you're seeing uh, at this point we're hopefully going from a a time where we're talking about what should the standard look like? Uh, should I use it? To really now, how do I how do I make best use of it in my environment? Um, and you know, one of the things I think. Uh, consumers of threat intelligence can start doing is asking their vendors of threat intelligence, whether it's provider of threat intelligence feed or some other service, um, what their, you know, sticks and taxi roadmap is, you know, are they, you know, if they currently support sticks two and in particular sticks 2.1 and taxi uh, 2.1, great. If not, what's it on there? You know, what's, what's their roadmap? And this is where I want to make sure everyone understands their full, complete international standards that are not going to change. Will the CTITC create, you know, follow-on versions over time? Will there be a Sticks 2.2 and Taxi 2.2? Maybe it's not. It's not clear exactly when that, that might happen. Or will there be a Sticks 3? Maybe down the road. But we have a foundation for interoperability in place that's going to be in place in perpetuity because of the way Oasis operates. So. Uh, don't let your vendors say, oh, they're still the, those things are, are, are still in flux or we're going to wait for it to settle down. It's settled down. They're full Oasis international standards. What's your roadmap vendor? Um, and that's what, I, that's what I hope consumers start to do. You know, there was a, there was a, a time, there was a sort of a hype curve some years ago where having featuring sticks and taxi blazoned across some well, software used to come in a box, you know, but that would be something that a marketing department might try to lead with. But uh, imagine like Microsoft Office 2022 now featuring UTF-8, you know, it, <laughs> don't even think about that, but you just assume it. So um, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll start to see new classes of applications being built on top of, like Niter Attack, Arguably, minor attack would have happened without sticks and taxi, but there has been a very happy marriage, I think, there. Um, and, and you can think about attack as being 
something like an application at, on top of Sticks and Taxi. And one could imagine a whole host of new uh, classes of security countermeasures or tools sort of riding on top of that. And my, my hope is in the same way that like kids today think of the internet doesn't even equal like a website, it equals an app. It's like, you know, an abstraction of a website that all that network stuff is just magic that sticks in taxi, solve a problem and they disappear. That would be my dream. That would be your dream. So, I mean, kind of to your point, almost like, you know, uh, uh, our son, we, we were talking to him about uh, websites and, you know, there's this thing called HTTP. He's like, I don't care. I just go to the website. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. I don't care about sticks and taxi. I just know that <clears throat> this thread information just gets shared and, and I, my stuff is secure. Right. Cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, but we ain't, we ain't quite there yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the goal is not that every security analyst uh, out there is familiar with the data model, the JSON schema for sticks or the you know HTTP uh, message structure for taxi, um, it's it's really you know we we are just trying to create this ecosystem, and I think we you know we've just passed the significant milestone where um, the technology is no longer the barrier to mm-hmm. actually exchanging information. Now the barriers that exist are probably are arguably more difficult, you know, when they're about people or policy or people being risk adverse or what's in it for me. Um, but I, I think the, you know, we've done the part that we can do well uh, in giving the community a good set of interoperable tools that are relatively easy to implement, they're scalable and extensible to actually represent the kind of threat intelligence that people care about. And when we started, when I started this, I was all focused on indicators. It was indicator, indicator, indicator. Um, and in fact, taxi used to be the trusted automated exchange of indicator information. And it was only uh, some number of years ago that that first I became intelligence. Um, but, um, you know, things, you know, Trey mentioned MITRE ATT&CK, you know, MITRE, by the time people hear this broadcast, um, MITRE ATT&CK will be available as Sticks 2.1. Um, so I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, uh, because there have been so many people, and, and this TC has been a global, has been a global effort. Which, you know, like everything else, is a feature and a bug. So, feature because we got perspectives from people from Japan and Europe and all or, all over the Far East, North America. Uh, the bug is, of course, we had to schedule meetings at all times of the day or night. Um, but uh, in the end, it was worth it because we we uh, we have a standard. I will say that one of the things that was baked into Sticks 2 for uh, just to, as part of this being a, a true global standard is full support for internationalization uh, and localization of content. So don't let that be a barrier to implement either. Awesome. You know, and, I, and I think it's, oh, I think we're at a really interesting inflection point right now. Uh, if, if you look at uh, some of the official communiques that came out of the last NATO summit, I would think, was it last week? Um, if you look at what's going on um, with the proposals for the, the second NIS directive uh, that was uh, put forward as a draft by the commission back in December, and if you look at, you know, uh, let's say multilateral and bilateral 
<coughs> dialogue, which by the time you've seen this video will have transpired around issues pertaining to cybersecurity, we're at a sort of unique inflection point, both I think within the common public discourse and within uh, sort of geopolitical uh, diplomatic uh, at that level, having, having these standards for information sharing coming out as full of standards at this same inflection point where there's such a drive toward uh, more flexible, faster information sharing to shut down some of the jerks with the computers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. It's also another great segue to kind of the last area I really wanted to cover, which is, um, you know, clearly cybersecurity is top of mind a lot more lately because of the technology, you know, the increase in, in use of technology in the in the era that we, we're still in with COVID, you know, so much so that U.S. President Biden signed an executive order to help secure the software supply chain, um, you know, and I know, Trey, there's, there's European things going on. I, I it's a kind of a two-part question. One is, how does Sticks and Taxi sort of fit into that overall ecosystem of helping our, our software supply chain and kind of the operations piece? And also, you know, you've, you've pointed out the thing that this really is a borderless problem, right? I mean, it's not like we just have these issues in the U.S. or in Europe. How does something like Sticks and Taxi begin to, obviously, it's, it's giving the people the tools, but what's the community aspect? What's the things that we really have to get past from a policy and governmental standpoint to allow this, this effective interchange of information? People who are existing in organizations where the organizational culture pushes them toward uh, covering their butts instead of sharing information, then there's no standard that can, that can yeah. affect that kind of cultural change. That's the big issue. The, uh, the thing I'd say, though, is that, uh, and no offense to my, my friends and colleagues you know, in government, um, but I think one of the things that's, that has held us back for a long time is this idea that you know, it's government who has all of the, the cool data and the, and the best data uh, and the richest data, you know, super secret squirrel club kinds of things. And uh, that there are places and times and places where that is critically important. Uh, but the vast majority of cyber threat intelligence is actually, you know, generated, managed, provided, consumed by private sector organizations. So. Um, you know, while I think government can play an important role in sort of pointing people in a direction, ultimately, you know, this has to be the private sector stepping up and saying, if there's sources of intelligence that we can leverage, whether it's through an ISAC or an ISAO, or through a threat intelligence vendor, or through bilateral sharing agreements with, with peers or competitors or my supply chain, they should be able to do that. I think sticks and taxi gives people that technological foundation that hopefully, but people aren't, you don't buy sticks and taxi, you buy products or you, you, or you, uh, you know, you, you acquire open source capabilities that implement sticks and taxi. Um, so I, so I, I'm hoping that people, you know, definitely take uh, a page from the government and try to say, okay, this, this seems like it's, an, it's an important thing, but we don't have to wait for the government to, uh, to tell us, what to do. Um, right. And so much great intelligence is on everyone's endpoint. 
and in everyone's proxy. You know, there's a lot of important information that, you know, appropriately anonymized and sanitized and shared for the right reasons with the right people can, can make a big impact. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think about sort of the fact that that Oasis has, you know, two of our, our colleagues, uh, Dr. Carol Cosgrove-Sachs and uh, Pim Vanderike work on our, kind of on the European side and with Oasis forming our, our new um, um, Oasis Open Europe Foundation. You know, I, I would love to see us find a way to kind of, like you said, go beyond the technology, go beyond the specification and, and actually enable these communities to have these conversations and and it's kind of a having worked a little bit in government like like you did, uh, Rich. That there's this seeking, you know, asking permission versus <laughs> and like doing I what, do, or, and like you I do, mean, right? I work in asking, the office of the I work in the office of the prime minister. <laughs> oh well, so you know this, you know this problem, right? Ask seeking permission versus you know uh, asking for forgiveness later. Um, and I think there's there's a point there that we have to get to where we are saying, hey, this data needs, like you said, appropriately anonymized, et cetera. But this data needs to be shared because it's a problem that's affecting everybody, right? And I and I know that you know having sort of the the stamp of the government saying, yeah, this is okay to do this, and hey, let's let's share this is one thing. But how do we get past that? I mean, it sounds like you know you kind of want to say, what's in it for me for all of these these these. Uh, uh, consumers of the cyber threat intelligence, what's in it for them and how do they, they talk to sort of um, companion organizations or even competitors? How do we enable that community? I guess is what I'm asking to yeah, share that information. I, honestly, I think, I think so much of that has to be driven. I mean, to trace earlier point so that people aren't even aware of it, obviously they need to authorize it, but you know, you use that major clouds uh, service provider, you're, they're helping keep you more secure using sticks, right? Sticks too. So I think that needs to be our model. You know, trying to get mm -hmm. everyone in the world to understand what sticks and taxi are is not the answer, right. but it's getting people who are in key points. You know, whether it's the the, the person, the CISO who is evaluating threat feeds, or the you know person doing a major acquisition of a security capability, making sure the more people demand and ask for interoperable CTI solutions based on international standards, specifically Sticks and Taxi 2.1, you know, the, the more we'll just create an ecosystem where you don't have to ask for it. Like it just happens. It just happens by default. Hey, Rich, I, I got this, this document in UTF-8. Do you know where I can get a program that can help me open that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to be the last text editor with your users clamoring for you to implement six text. right you know what i mean yeah. by the way uh guy you know we we've talked about o oasis a lot and I, I just you know before we run out of time um we have had the the i mean i have certainly had the honor and privilege of working with all of uh all of you in oasis um you know for the last six years and and now serving on the board uh, i we would not be where we are today if it weren't for you know, the capable, you know, we thank the TC and their volunteers and they, they've done, uh, you know, the vast majority of the technical work on the, on the standards. But one of the key things about an organization like Oasis is it's that process and rules and all those things mm -hmm. that keep the trains running on time. And, you know, if it weren't for, uh, you know, people who now I, I call good friends, you know, Carol Geyer and Jane Harnett and Dee Shore, Chet Ensign, who 
knows the answer to every last question <laughs> ever asked uh, about international standards. Scott McGrath and and uh, and now yourself. It, it's been a real it's been a real pleasure. Um, you know, we we literally uh, would not be where we are today if it weren't for the sort of community mindedness and the and the uh, and the very sort of let's just let's solve this problem kind of attitude that Oasis has brought to the table. Yeah. So uh, you know, just yeah. on, on behalf of myself, just a huge thanks to everyone Oasis. Yeah, th yes. thanks. You know, it's uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, uh, so as of this episode, I've been here for gosh a year and uh, four months, five months. Uh, so obviously, I am. Um, I, I agree with all of that, right? I mean, the reason I came to Oasis, and and I've said this before, people in, in kind of my open source community circle were like, "You're going to an SDO? That sounds like a strange career move, given all of your stuff, you know, running open source program offices and companies." And, and I said, "Actually, I think it's a great." place to be because it's this marriage of open source and standards and specifically Oasis because of the way they've done standards, right? In this very open, collaborative, you know, transparent, neutral way was, I think was a great fit. So we appreciate that. All of my, my staff is going to be great. Uh, is going to be very happy to hear that from you. So uh, with that, let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up. We, we are running a little long, but I think this has been a great conversation. So uh, I want to give you both kind of an opportunity, final thoughts, comments, um, anything you want to leave people with in terms of sticks and taxi and the, and the evolution of, of, the, of that work in cybersecurity? Uh, we have had some influx of new members in the TC. And if you're out there looking at this video right now and you think that if you're involved at all in implementing, uh, try to see, see with your boss if your organization can join Oasis and come join the CCITC. We have not solved all the problems. We've barely begun to scratch the surface, but we need you to come and help. And uh, don't be intimidated to come and work on a standard. It's, uh, it's an open environment and we're looking for fresh, energized blood, new ideas. So come on over, help us make it better. Awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, on that note, I would say that, you know, I've announced to the TC that with this, with this work complete, I'm stepping down as uh, CTITC co-chair. And um, you know, it is because of the strength of this community, because of the strength of the TC and the people in it, and because of folks like Trey Darley, that I'm confident not, not only will the TC do continue to, to do good work, they'll do work that I couldn't even imagine. And so that's, I think, the, the message about what an organization like Oasis does in, in open collaboration, because what it's, it gives us the ability to really create these scalable and sustainable communities where like-minded, passionate people coming from all sorts of different walks of life for different reasons can come together and tackle a problem. And, and uh, so, you know, it, that's been a huge honor and privilege of mine. Uh, you know, when I, when I had that, when I came left that meeting, you know, almost uh, almost ten years ago, and said we got to do this. I never thought we would end up at this at this place at this point in time, and it's been a great ride. Um, and I, you know, if I could, I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat. But let's never lose sight of the fact that this is a means to an end. And so my challenge to everyone, and maybe this can be a subject at an upcoming borderless cyber event. Um, you know, how we're using 
sticks in taxi tube at one to secure our organization or our sector or our country. I think we really need to be very much focused on not just you know fussing with the standards, but actually using them to solve real cybersecurity problems. I would also like to thank my organization, the Center for Cybersecurity Belgium, for supporting uh, the work of CTITC through allowing my participation in uh, in Oasis. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Sorry. Trey. Just oh, no that worries. in somewhere, please. No worries. Okay, so then <clears throat> I'll get this last bit in. Uh, thanks, Rich and Trey. It was really awesome to get both of your perspectives on the, the broader issues of cybersecurity in general, but also the work that the important work that you're both doing in the CTI Technical Committee um, and how that could be a significant part of helping thwart future cyber attacks. So thank you both again very much for joining me today and sharing this critical information. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So if you want to learn more about the sticks and taxi work we've been discussing today or any other OASIS projects, you can find us at oasis-open.org. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter. We're at, we're at Oasis Open. And once again, everybody, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>